Joining us now, a guy who's helped us better understand the NBA draft for many years here on the program. He does great work as the president of DraftExpress.com. He actually wrote the article that I think did the best job I've seen on the internet or otherwise of explaining why there is so much confusion, even sometimes among prospects and their families, about how the new rules work for early entry as the NCAA has jumped in with a new deadline and the NBA, of course, continues to play uh, its role as well. Jonathan Gavoni joins us. Jonathan, good to have you back. How are you? Doing great, David. How are you? I'm doing very well. Give us a sense as you put together that article I mentioned that folks can find at your website, draftexpress.com. How much of a sense did you get that even the parties involved in these major life decisions about whether or not to turn pro early, even many of them were confused about how the rules are going to work this year? Oh, very much so. I think that the NCAA did a very poor job of publicizing this new rule. They kind of swept it underneath the rug, and I think they were hoping that nobody would notice. Um, and, but obviously this has you know, life-altering implications on, on, on a lot of these kids. So it was very important to kind of clear the air and make sure that everybody knew where, where, where things stand right now. The April 10th NCAA early entry withdrawal deadline is near, nearly upon us. Obviously, folks here in North Carolina have watched the exodus from UNC. This could be a question about a variety of people, but let's make it specifically about Harrison Barnes. It seems that he was even more well-regarded by NBA scouts as a high school senior in Ames, Iowa, than he is coming out after two years at UNC. Do you think that's an accurate assessment? I do. He was the number one recruit in the country, and people were comparing him to Kobe Bryant at that stage. And well, I still, I still think he's a very good prospect. I think he's going to have a great NBA career. But I think it's pretty obvious at this point that he is not Kobe Bryant, and he's not going to change the, the, the you know, the future of a, of an NBA franchise. When you look at this year's draft and you think in terms of the highest impact that we've seen from guys like LeBron James or other very high picks in recent years, is the list really consisting of a guy like Anthony Davis of Kentucky, or are there a lot more than that that you think could become not just good players but stars in the NBA? I, well, Anthony Davis is definitely the only surefire one at this point. I think there's a couple other guys that could, that could be – all-stars in the NBA. Uh, I think Bradley Beal has a chance. I think Andre Drummond has a chance. Even though people are very down on him right now, you still need to remember he's only 18 years old. Um, I, I think that every year we go through this roller coaster ride where everybody loves to draft in November, December, and then they start seeing that these kids aren't going to be, you know, LeBron James, Kevin Durant type players from day one, and they start getting way too down on the draft which is where we are right now, I think what it's also been done is he's going to be a very strong draft class and be a lot of very good players. Um, you know, I mean, what can you do? There's only one LeBron James in the NBA. You're not going to, you're not going to get a new one every year. Jonathan Gavoni, DraftExpress.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at DraftExpress. What do you hear from NBA scouts when it comes to a guy for example, Harrison Barnes, how do they project him? We're not allowed to talk, you know, pub, NBA scouts are not allowed to talk publicly about underclassmen, uh, at least for now, so you've always been our intermediary in that regard. What do they say about Harrison Barnes projecting as an NBA talent? I think that he's, even the most, the most rational NBA guy that I talk to, 
from the very beginning felt like he was going to be a very good third option in the NBA, uh, like a Luol Deng uh, or a, a, a taller, more talented Aaron Aflalo, someone that is going to play good defense, is going to be a team player, is going to make shots, uh, he's going to score in transition. He's going to be too sometimes off the dribble in a straight line. He's not going to be a, a high volume shot creator. Um, he's a good player to have with a with a great point guard and a good big guy. He's a perfect third option. That's what the rational NBA guys are saying. And some of them are really down on him. They say, "Oh, he stinks. He's got no chance. He, he didn't do this. He didn't do that." But you hear that every year, and I think you just kind of have to block that out a little bit. Does anyone from the group that we have here in North Carolina, Barnes, John Henson, Tyler Zeller, Austin Rivers of Duke, uh, Kendall Marshall of North Carolina, uh, does anyone from that group, is, are they evaluated in a way that kind of stands out from the others when you talk to these NBA scouts and other decision makers? Well, you know, there's no real consensus. Um, I think that for every one of those players, you're going to find a lot of guys that really like them and a lot of guys that don't like them. There's, it's not like Anthony Davis where everybody unanimously says, this guy is going to be amazing. So I think that the player that has the kind of the, the widest range of, of opinions is probably Kendall Marshall at this point. Some people look at him as a guy that is going to have, you know, uh, uh, he's going to make a couple of all-star games. He's, he, he's got a chance to, to be a top ten, uh, you know, career assist leader at some stage. Um, I personally really, really like him. I'm looking at what Ricky Rubio is doing in the NBA, and I'm, and I'm thinking back to the doubts that we had about Ricky Rubio coming into this season and just seeing how seamlessly he, he was able to translate um, his talent to the NBA really makes me comfortable projecting Kendall Marshall as a starting point guard and, and a guy that, that, that's going to win uh, playoff games. There are a lot of basketball fans, Jonathan, as you know, that do not like the one-and-done phenomenon that we saw in play at Kentucky. David Stern just commented publicly in the last 24 hours about the owners being in favor of maybe a two-year rule or bumping the age limit by a year. What is your sense of the likelihood or not that the NBA Players Association will be willing to go along with that anytime soon? I think it's a give, it's a give and take. Um, they would concede that if they could get some concessions in other areas. It's going to be very strange. This panel that they're putting together this summer, we don't know who is going to be on that panel. We don't know what agendas are going to be there. So it's really hard to project what's going to happen. But at the end of the day, I don't really think that this is something the players association is going to care about that much. If you look at the you know the guys that are on there, the Roger Masons and the Mo Evans. They don't need rookies coming in and pushing them out of the NBA. So I don't see that being something that, you know, that they're really, really going to, to go all out again. Um, but, uh, you know, as far as college basketball fans, and it's obvious why college coaches and college basketball fans don't like the one-and-done rule. They'd want these guys to stay four years and play for them for free forever. It's the best deal in the world. But uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how, how everything plays out. You and your guys at Draft Express have a pretty good track record for kind of knowing before the rest of the world knows who's coming out and who's not. Just give us your sense of the process when it comes to guys like Mason Plumley of Duke or C.J. Leslie of NC State. Uh, we know that, for example, uh, Leslie did go through the process with the NBA. 
Um, fans wonder, though, sometimes, Jonathan, what exactly does a prospect get back in return? Because you can get a general view of what the NBA thinks of you, but it only takes one team to decide to pick you with a certain slot. So how much do they really learn with this back-and-forth process? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, and I think that uh, we don't really know, to be honest with you, because uh, NBA teams are very coy sometimes about how they feel about you know certain prospects, and they're not really looking to tell the whole world you know, which are guys that they like. I think that the actual... Uh, I think the real stuff goes on in backdoor conversations. Um, all of these players have been talking to agents since they were in high school, and they all have guys that they trust. And, and these agents have very strong relationships with NBA GMs, with owners, with executives, with scouts. And I do think that that's where the actual real hard-hitting information comes from. And it's not an ideal situation by any stretch because obviously there's agendas involved on that end of the spectrum as well. But I think that between all of this, um, you know, back and forward, I think that you can get a pretty good feel for where a guy is projected to go. And to me, honestly, what it comes down to is whether a player feels like he's ready to go pro or not. Is he, has he maximized himself at the college level? Does he feel like he's ready to be a pro, you know, whether that's in Europe or in the NBA? I mean, I think that's what it really comes down to, not so much of, are you going to go 26 or are you going to go 32? Because I really don't think that that matters that much. How about in terms of guaranteed money? Isn't there a big difference between being the last pick of the first round and the first pick of the second round? Not anymore, because now it's two full years guaranteed is all they have to is all they have to give you, and most second round picks get one, two, sometimes up to four years. Chandler Parsons last year was a mid second round pick, got four years, uh, you know, four year deal. So I really don't think that that matters that much. I really think it matters how ready you are to play in the NBA and how you actually perform once you're there. Still the case that you have to negotiate for that as a second rounder, whereas it's automatic for a first rounder? Yeah, it's on a case-by-case basis. Some teams like to give, um, you know, two-year guaranteed with a third-year team option. Some years, um, you know, Darius Morris from Michigan didn't get a single dollar guaranteed to win in the, in the mid-second round. So it really, really varies uh, on the team and the agent and the, and the players. Some agents prefer to take uh, you know, a, a smaller guarantee with a higher upside if their player blows up. Chandler Parsons looks great for Houston. He's locked into a four-year deal. Uh, you know, I'm sure he would prefer to be a, a free agent in a, a year and a half from now. Jonathan Gavoni, DraftExpress.com. In terms of the big picture of this year's draft, it seems like we don't have as many international names as we've seen at times in the past in the first round, and there's a definite shortage of seniors to go with uh, a Tyler Zeller of North Carolina, for example. Is that a fair assessment of this year's class? I think it is. Um, I think that the seniors is something that we've seen the last few years. It's not really a huge surprise. I do think that when it's all said and done, there will be three or four seniors picked in the first round, probably only one in the lottery, which is Zeller. The international, is, you're, you're absolutely right. It's a very cyclical thing. Last year was the best year ever for international prospects, and this year it's very, very down. So I expect it to be a little bit better next year. Check out Jonathan's stuff, draftexpress.com. Follow him on Twitter, at draftexpress. Thanks very much for the visit, man. Keep up the good work. Thank you.